0: This is season five, episode seven, Future Steadying with Katie and Jade. Before we dive into this juicy episode, I just wanted to share that we've created a tiny course called Small is Beautiful, and it's really an antidote to this idea that biggest is best. It's a guide to slowing down, living more simply, finding more life-giving decisions. And we think that it is, even though it's tiny, we think it's really, really good. So, you can enroll at megberryman.com and click on the mini courses link, find all the details there. You'll get immediate access when you sign up and let us know what you think. We'd love to have you in that learning journey with us. Without further ado, here is my chat with Katie and Jade. Katie and Jade welcome to the podcast. Hey thanks. Super excited to have you guys on and fellow podcast hosts I think this is the first time I've had uh, folks that are kind of doing a similar stuff on the podcast and when I reached out I really just wanted to sit down and have a cuppa in person with you guys and then (laughs) today lockdown started again so that will have to wait but um I'd love to start with you, Jade. Um, The name of the podcast is Future Setting. The name of the book is Future Setting. Can you tell me a little bit about that concept and also about your work and podcast with Katie?
1: Yeah. So, we for a really long time have been homesteading and we've both done our PDCs and we kind of apply that Framework or that lens over pretty well every decision that we make for our life at Black Barn Farm. And we run loads and loads of workshops and people say to us all the time, I want to do a little bit of this, but I feel like I can't because I haven't got sprawling acres or I don't live in the country or I haven't done a PDC or, you know, all of these reasons why people felt like they couldn't change their lens and live a little bit more like this. And so we were talking one day, my husband and I, Charlie, were talking about, what it is that means people feel like they've got this great big barrier from living in a way that is you know richly more simple and um you know we we kind of figure that it's about what's going on between your ears it's what's going on in your head it's the lens you look through and that could be as katie says beautifully it could be a pot of mint on your kitchen bench and that could amount to advocacy and so um really what we wanted to do was create a concept that was something that harked on homesteading but was accessible, really accessible for anyone living anywhere in any way and it was really about a mindset. So over time a series of seven principles have evolved but it certainly wasn't that in the beginning. It was really just this beautiful concept about living simply in a way that was connected to your people that was celebrating local. That really embraced the seasons that tick through the year, building rhythms and rituals, and um, making sure that anybody could access that without feeling like it was a dogmatic, bossy, rigorous um, framework that you couldn't couldn't get right all the time. So I think that's the problem. People feel like if they can't get it right, they won't try at all. Whereas this really, it's about creating joy as much as anything.
0: Mm, and that that can look so different for everyone and I mm. <clears throat> I agree I think there's also this um flavor of kind of righteousness that can come with the movement sometimes that I find really um like shame inducing I think where you say it's kind of that lens of what's happening between your ears and I would add to that from the work that we do it's the what's happening in your body, you know, what, how that, how you're experiencing shame or how you're experiencing belonging or how you're experiencing um, scarcity or insufficiency, like all of those body states, I think plays a huge part in it. So I love your approach of the mint on the mantelpiece or the, or the windowsill being um, the micro shift that, you know, in generations to come will compound and create a huge shift so I love that and Katie I wonder from your perspective how did you meet Jade and how did you come to be involved in this or what was your guys love story?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh it is such a love story. (laughs) Um, I'm a serial offender when it comes to volunteering on farms and I really get excited about other people's ideas and projects and I often think it's interesting that you bring up the the, the wellness you bring that wellness lens into it because I think that I'm you know sometimes a little bit deficient in energy and um, physical capacity to achieve really big stuff so I kind of dovetail on the amazingness of other folks and see where I can maybe lend a hand or fill in gaps and so um, on this journey of wolfing that my partner and I had been on um, respectively for many years and then together for a couple of years as well I had and spied Jade in the ether and absolutely loved what she stood for, and discovered I don't know Jade if I actually reached out to you personally or saw your listing on Help exchange
1: I think I that. You, she I had feel th- like I stalked you. I definitely oh. discovered you and thought, oh man, she. I need to have her here. She's amazing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, whatever the etiology of our um connection, I think it was it was pretty much love at first sight. When I we arrived at Black Barn, we'd organised to come and stay with you guys for quite a long whack of time, like seven weeks. And uh we just drove up in our in our um Subaru with our dog and I saw Jade upstairs in the loft at the barn dusting feverishly, you know, making good for our arrival. And um you're just such a splendid character, Jade, that I felt yeah, a real kinship with you instantly. And so we stayed in touch after George and I left and Jade proposed doing a podcast. And I am the consummate yes person. And so I said, fuck yeah.
0: (laughs) I love that love story. And I love hearing those like initial sparks of connection and like the tendrils reaching out and then that beautiful enmeshment that happens you know between two folks and then their extended partners and communities and you bring up a really good point Katie about like we just can't do it alone ever you know but that insidious concept that we're so conditioned into we bought our property three years ago and Jade at the time we were like we're going to be running workshops here in a year (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> three years on yeah, and we're just kind of getting to that point in our business and our property where we're like you know we just can't do this on our own so I'd love to hear first from you Jay and then Katie what's been your journey with the unlearning of some of the things that stand in the way of the concepts around future steadying like how is that unlearning process happened and that deconditioning or that yeah for you guys like were you Always rural, Or did you come from an urban area and have to um, unlearn hustle? I'm just really curious about that that journey for both of you.
1: Well, I would say that that journey is still well and truly happening every single day. Um, I grew up with a pretty alternative dad who's an artist and we um, really our whole life revolved around his art career. So trips to the desert where he painted with Aboriginal communities and lots of time living in a tent and, and you know, trade was a pretty big part of our life. He painted for payment of just about everything we needed and we grew all our own food. And I, I've been watching preservation methods or growing methods or seed-saving methods since I was born, so it felt pretty intuitive. But it's really, really different looking at that childhood learning to then applying it as an adult and I actually didn't do my PDC until I was in my 30s and it really came about because I felt like I had learnt the framework of of permaculture through osmosis and I really wanted to put an adult lens over that. I was really lucky to meet, I didn't think it at the time, but to meet an amazing human who's now my partner in absolutely everything and he said to me at 21, I just can't be in the city. So um, if we want to stay together, then I'm going back to where I'm from and you can either come with me or not. And I did actually spend 10 years grieving the fact that I just kind of abandoned any vision that I had and felt like I was just getting on his bandwagon. And in truth, he would be horrified to think that I thought or said that, but um, he has very much been everything that I'm not. He's an engineer in the way he thinks, So he doesn't have that natural creativity but he's really consistent really solid really thorough really self-assured as to who he is and, and what he wants from life and what he wants is to have his hands in the dirt and to be growing food and so while he didn't necessarily have similar upbringing and he didn't necessarily have those skills he had a deep deep yearning to do it and he followed that really strongly and uncompromisingly. So our kids are now fourteen and ten. And when they were about four, when the little the boys were four, we both said, This isn't enough living in town. We both knew that we wanted to farm and we wanted to do more. We had founded the local food co op and we'd started to get an understanding of why small scale farming isn't financially viable but what another model could look like. And so we knew we wanted to do something that really deeply connected with our communities and um, we knew that growing food was the one thing that gave us both a really strong sense of stability and hope because there were definitely times during our transition period off the bandwagon or off the, the um, riverbank is what we often refer to it as where we felt pretty wobbly like it's a really nerve-wracking journey to let go of the riverbank completely and just let the water take you down stream to wherever the hell it's going to take you and you just hope like hell that you're going to land somewhere safe but um yeah it's certainly not an easy journey to embark on because you're swimming against the tide like everybody tells you you're crazy to want to farm and crazy to want to work more closely in cooperation with community because people are complicated and you know, crazy to really minimise your sense of what enough is. So we're sort of surrounded by this paradigm of endless growth, but to bring it back to really human terms, we weren't thriving and we weren't feeling like we were honouring the things that we needed to do and be. And so while it was hard at times, it feels incredibly satisfying and incredibly right To have kind of landed in the way of life that we've landed in.
0: It's um, such a beautiful and eloquent way to put it. And I always get such a joy in my body when I find others floating in the middle of the river with me, desperately paddling against the stream. It's very (laughs) soothing because I think that that moment of the the courageous, doing the courageous things, you're right, it can bring up so much. And um, I think for a long time, I really felt as though. I was allergic to life in some way, too sensitive, too difficult, too like needed such, um, I don't know, calibrated conditions to thrive. And looking back, it wasn't that I needed super calibrated conditions to thrive. I just couldn't thrive in the way that we've organised life and society. And Mm. I think that acknowledging that not as a a weakness but as a, uh, as you would call it, a, a... step into the future is a really beautiful or and into the recent past at the same time Mm. Um, it's a really beautiful movement that I feel the same about but Katie I'm curious about for you what was that unlearning process looked what did that look like for you?
2: Mm. I love this question Meg and I'm really excited to hear what I'm gonna say because (laughs) part of my unlearning is not knowing and just letting stuff arise naturally which is so scary to me because I'm from a really academic family and a lot of um, importance is placed on what you can say at the dinner table that sounds really impressive and you've you know thought about beforehand and it's very calculated and this you know as a child always wanting to know you know what happens what's going to happen when I die what's going to happen tomorrow what's at the end of the, the corridor just so many Fears of the unknown. And so stepping into this question and this life with the sense of, you know, with letting go of that control of the situation is actually, I think, at the core of my unlearning process. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think working in health has really informed a lot of how I am each day and the things that I, I think about and grapple with and embody because that journey of really understanding, you know, what my body wants and needs versus what I think my body should look like or, or act like or what the diet plan is prescribing, that has been a really big process of, you know, letting go of, um, yeah, prescriptiveness. Because I think as a naturopath I was, I was always um, – berating myself around what I was eating and getting up at 5am to go on the run. And that became a really insidious cycle of of, um, body shaming and control and feeding into probably a greater narrative around, you know, how we all should be living our lives with a lot of parallels, you know, in the, um, the space that we're in now, a lot of stuff coming from the guilt and righteousness angle. So I've really had to unlearn a lot of the the shoulds and templates and prescriptions to come back to this internal knowingness that I, that I always had, which is, Hey, that sounds good to eat. Hey, I don't really feel like that today. Yes. I'm hungry. No, I'm not. That's been a bigger process than what it sounds like. <laughs> um, and yeah, circling back to my, my childhood and coming from a completely dissimilar space to Jade in that um, my family are, are totally, um, you know, urban dwellers, head dwellers, all of the things that um, have probably not given me too many practical life skills. So I think that every, every week I'm trying to learn something that might um, help me in the event of, you know, the energy descent. So, yeah, that's, that's part of the process for me.
0: I love that, I love that you said it sounds simple something and sounds easy and like that, really honouring the body wisdom, truly, truly honouring it in a context of being taught from very little ones and particularly as girls, I think, to override that in favour of what other folks want us to be or do. Um, It's a really big thing to start to trust ourselves again and to start to trust our bodies, intuitive, Clock, and I find it even more difficult to do in the constructs of time um, and the constructs of what is connective and what is life giving that we've been given. So, I really it, it makes total sense to me that that's where the unlearning continues to be because even now, like speaking completely honestly, I find it really difficult to meet and find the balance of wanting to do this work, this advocacy work, and and doing a lot of coaching and teaching online, which is beautiful and life giving in lots of ways. But I just want to be out there with my hands in the soil at the same time and, you know, out on the horse or my hands in the sheep's wool or, you know, any of that stuff, just being in connection. And I'm wondering, Jay, do you find that balance
1: hard? Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I said to Charlie just yesterday if I wasn't actually writing a book about future studying, I could be future (laughs) studying. And so, yeah, yeah, fully. There have been beautiful periods, like big swathes of multiple seasons in a row where the rhythm is unquestioned and the flow is beautiful and there's a deep sense of satisfaction and, you know, everything is just so pure and so clear and I'm just sky high because it's incredible and I've somehow managed to land some kind of balance where I'm a bit more internalized where the smallest things capture my attention and and create kind of lightning bolts of magic so that that's that happens and I know it can happen which is what keeps me going in a desire to find it again but in the reality of the world you know right now I'm back uh, working for someone else which I haven't done for a number of years in a permanent Position rather than uh, in contract work. And that just channels and challenges all manner of trying to find that natural balance of what would otherwise be a future-steating life. I've got three kids. Um, we run this podcast. You know, there's this book that's just come out that needs to be toured around the countryside amid COVID shutdowns and lockdowns. So there's always a million things going on. We're building a barn right now so that we can enhance our ability to to work with people, schools, groups and um, host events with like-minded people. So, you know, there's so much going on. I think the thing for me has been letting lots of stuff go and, um, you know, I can still have a community gathering in my shed I don't have to make it look beautiful. I don't have to make an amazing meal. I can just sweep the floor and pull my gumboots on and it's about the people really coming and really being with me rather than it looking beautiful. So it's taken a long time to learn to let all of that bullshit go and really find a way to be really genuine and as as real as I possibly can and that makes a massive difference. You know, even having house sitters so we can go away for two days used to throw me into absolute tears because I wanted the place to be Spotless for them. And now they just get what they get. Well, they, I don't even have them keys because we don't have keys. But, you know, when they arrive, they, they get Black Barn Farm in its unmown, uh, unkept state, if that's where it's at right now. And that's taken a really long time to learn.
0: Yeah, I totally relate to the house sitting thing, and I totally relate to the can I have people here in the messiness of my family living here, my kids, me, you know, like all the messiness and vulnerability of life. Um, we're in, we're only on an acre, and for a long time, I was like, it's too small. I can't teach here. And then one of my beautiful mentors brought me back to the fact. that She said, Meg, you can teach on. Um, one square inch of soil and (laughs) it contains everything so you know what I mean it's this idea of aesthetic over process and outcome over anything else and and what something looks like rather than how something feels and what I'm hearing from both of you which I love is just make doing things in my body that are great is um, this idea of letting go of control and uh, softening into uh, life and letting ourselves be part of that web and so Katie I'm curious you've worked on a lot of farms and you mentioned it before both of you mentioned it around the stickiness and ickiness that can come with or the perception of that that can come with um, working in collaboration when inherently the context we've been brought up in is one of competition. In your experience what are there ingredients for positive collaborations and more community orientation? What does that require of us as individuals and as teams and families and communities, do you think? Mm.
2: <laughs> it's um, a very intru- interesting and relevant question for me because I'm an only child and I actually think I really suck at collaboration because I remember when I was a kid building a cubby house with my best friend and she was trying to create this, you know, rope and pulley system. And I just remember thinking, "Mate, you've tied the wrong knot. This is never going to work. It's not going to support our body weight. Like let me do it. I'll do it. I know how to do it better." And I think that that's a I don't know, that's an ongoing challenge for me because I I like to do things on my own and I have to really, really learn, you know, not to not to try and do everything which then results in burnout and bitterness and to actually accept Other people's assistance, which is monumentally challenging, so much harder than doing everything for someone and therefore disempowering them. So, I reckon with collaboration, what I'm really trying to inhabit is don't judge people so harshly because I do, I judge myself so harshly. And I think I hold people to such a high standard and that's because I'm doing it to myself internally and really appreciating how, how fragile and fallible we all are and how okay that is. And so I think having chats that are really uncomfortable and hard cracks us open and we can get to the real stuff. So that's what I'm finding in collaboration with people just having a really uncomfortable conversation that then brings us to this new, deeper, compassionate place of, oh my gosh, we're all really feeling messed up right now. Like, let's go with that. Um, And yeah, actually being kinder to myself and understanding that I'm not going to do a perfect job every time and trying to be perfect is actually so arrogant and misguided. So just drop that shit. Like (laughs) it's okay to do a really messy job and yeah I think in community as well like I'm always really when I lived in smaller towns um, I remember I was living in Port Macquarie which is a little seaside town in New South Wales and I thought right I'll go here because I don't know anyone my mum has a little house I'm just going to be here by myself and write stuff like such a recipe for disaster trying to live in that kind of bubble and vacuum is just never good for anyone's mental health but what I did do was go and volunteer at this community garden and every week we'd get together and I was about 30 years younger than the youngest person in this group and um, we would rock up and there'd be a little table that one woman was selling her crochet from and then we'd kind of weed this community space on the verge and plant some things and do about an hour's work and then sit down and have a cup of tea and I was always so enthralled and enamored and inspired by the the differences that everyone brought to that table and that that cup of tea because people were so quirky one you know someone might have a really affected way of speaking or someone didn't want to talk at all or this guy loves um you know flying in his airplane at the velodrome every Saturday and you know everyone was so diverse but even though folks had their quirkiness and had their their you know challenges in relating to other people We all just got on with it and there was a sense of of real love and affection and camaraderie and inclusiveness that I think small communities do really well. You know, everyone is welcome. You don't have to be a superstar. You can be a little bit awkward or a lot awkward and we just celebrate that because we all live here and that's how it is and I think that's a hallmark of maybe older and more mature communities and i know that living in the city we get to pick and choose those folks that we're partnering up with and sometimes that's a bit fraught because we just pick the shiniest most gregarious charismatic people to to be in the orbit of and i reckon there's something in actually being bound by a place like in our street for instance covid is really ramming this home what if everyone on our street came together and we'd have a natural plurality of, of characters and personalities and just being yeah, kinder to yourself and therefore embodying that kindness to everyone else? I think that's, that's what I'm learning. But Jade, I think you are the master of community and collaboration. So I'm really keen to hear your perspective on this.
1: I thought I was about to get out of that. I thought, oh, she's done such a beautiful
2: job. <laughs> <at all>. Nope.
1: <laughs> um, I think they are possibly the most fraught, most complicated, most rewarding, most fulfilling things we could have in our lives, really. Um, I think I wrote in the book something along the lines that you're only as strong as those who you build your life with and those that you do build your life with are an extension of yourselves and so finding a way to, to come to an agreement hand in hand and heart to heart allows us to value collectivism over individualism and I think that's what it's about and that can take a really long time to learn and maybe we never truly learn it and maybe it all sounds a bit um, ideological but I think my experience has been that you are only as strong as the community that is around you and also that you can only move as fast in a new direction. So if what you're trying to achieve with your community is more than just solidarity and comradeship. If it's, if it's to genuinely enact change, I think you need to do that in a way that moves at the pace that everybody is willing to move at. And that can be exasperatingly frustrating for those who move quickly. It can be overwhelming and daunting for those who move slowly. And sometimes there's this sort of jagged ratcheting of moving fast and moving slow to try and find where that balance sits. And I think that's really important. And I think if you took your lens, Katie, of just not judging people and stepping forward with an open-minded kindness um, and a knowledge that no one person is any more important than anybody else, despite them being shinier and more gregarious or despite them having more capability to garner people's vision, I think it's really important to acknowledge that you're just one tiny part of a really complicated, big amorphous group of other individuals who together is just an individual but sorry when you're on your own you're just an individual but when you're together you can be bloody amazing Mm.
0: and you can represent the whole which is just I'm really loving these conversations around diversity and also around just interrupting the constructed ideas of hierarchy that keep us prisoner too you know I think the most liberating thing was to start to unlearn that learned behavior of moving into a group and assessing in a very narrow lens according to that that we've been taught is successful assessing where I sat relative to everyone else like that shit is exhausting and to actually come to a place where I'm willing to be in relationship even in the discomfort because mm. the yearning, the paradox of the yearning for connection is so much deeper than any risk of feeling shame or, or um, you know, rejection, mm. but that yearning, and I'm really feeling that yearning coming in the collective that excites me because if we can be in place and in local community And we can't hide from ourselves in a way because we know ourselves through relationship. I imagine that conversation you brought up, Katie, of like it it brings us to a deeper understanding of self when we're able to be in connection with diverse folks around us. And that excites me because I think when we have a kind of relationship a more whole relationship with ourselves like that's regenerative that's to me embodying regeneration and that's where it has to start I think so I loved that conversation I want to do an awkward segue with no segue and Jade I want to talk about I want to talk about um, I want to talk about the the parenting piece and future setting and I want to talk about the constructed fantasy that we see on Instagram versus the actual reality of raising kids and trying to live simply and acknowledging that the context of capitalism makes that really difficult and really isolating. So I'm just curious about your experience of, of raising kids whilst adopting and developing this framework
1: Yes. Yeah. yourself yeah yeah and there is no doubt that what you see in a presented form a curated presented form is truly not the reality um so yeah as i mentioned earlier i've got three i've got identical twins who are 14 and i've got a 10 year old we moved to our farm so we have always grown the vast majority of our fresh food and when we founded the food co-op we were then able to either trade or or swap with abundance with others or buy bulk whole foods from people that we could identify the source of but that didn't really happen until the boys were about seven or eight and we didn't move to the farm until they were eight and the little one was five and I don't know if it's because she has had more of her life on the land or whether or not she's a singleton she's not a twin they tend to go into their own worlds um, but she is most definitely more ref- more representative of what I was like as a kid. We had a really hippie upbringing. We were locked outside from the start of the day until the end of the day. And if anyone was inside, it was just my dad who was painting and we had to pretty well entertain ourselves, eat from the garden, eat from the trees, eat from the chook bucket. We spent a lot of time eating chicken pellets. <laughs> Um, And so I had this upbringing where we were deeply connected to place through seasonality and endless changes to weather and an understanding of how to kind of fend for ourselves in the outside world. And in my mind, that's what my children would want too. They would have that curiosity and they would have that desire to be outside. And when we really, really lay down the rules and we turn the internet off and, Um, We actively engage them. They are brilliant. They are all of those things. But let's get real, we're busy. Like We're in the middle of trying to establish a multi-species orchard that we open to the public really regularly. And so we're also building a barn and we're also running workshops and we're also grafting our nursery trees. And, you know, we're hand doing a lot of this stuff because we're using biological practices. So we're spending three solid... 10-hour days a week um, or three weeks across solid 10-hour days mulching trees. So the kids are often left to their own devices. And I guess if I'm really honest, the sad story in that is that they're often on a device. They're not outside on their mountain bikes. When they were younger, they did. But um, we managed to go screen-free until this year. They bought themselves a phone each when they were 14 and Um, That is now a daily battle and it's a battle that sucks, not because I want them to be different to other kids but because I'm so fiercely disappointed that society has let us do this. We're so heavily dominated by something that doesn't have our mental well-being and our community health and our cultural vibrancy at heart and it really does erode it enormously and it does break my heart because the little one still has a real interest in being out with us she clips the chicken's wings and she's really actively involved in the breeding chicken breeding program you know all the kids and I had a graft trees and you know in the rain this week the boys were out there painting the the branches and the, the um, trunks of the trees white but they're not doing it because they love it they're not doing it because it's a chance to observe and to be really immersed in a natural world, they're doing it because we're paying them so that they can buy themselves a mountain bike. So, mm-hmm. you know, they are really curious kids and we've been really fortunate that um, we've had incredible woofers and, and farm volunteers. Katie was one of our first. In fact, I think you were our first. Um, and they teach our kids a worldliness and a curiosity and a natural questioning that might not happen Otherwise, so we don't have to raise them wholly and solely on our own. We feel like we're surrounded by incredible humans from all over the world that are pretty strongly like-minded. But, you know, if I look at Katie's lens of being kind to yourself, I could feel like I have failed in some components because I have let them be dominated by screens from time to time and their natural curiosity isn't as strong as I'd like and their inclination to want to be on the farm. I interviewed um, (coughs) Matthew Evans from Pat Big Farm last week and he said, I feel like sometimes we've failed. My son doesn't want to be out with us. And ours are a little bit the same. It's a really hard thing to reconcile that you've got these beautiful humans that you've brought into the world and you had all this strong expectation around what they would want from the world and you can see that they've got that capability, yet they're caught in a world of capitalist industrialization and they play their part in that. And I think if I had my time again, I'd probably homeschool and I would, I would limit their external influence. But, you know, that's not realistic either. Who, when would I have done that? And so I just need to be kind and accept that I do have three healthy, beautiful humans who are navigating the world just like I am. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and all the ways that we're still tethered to the system as well, and all the ways that we're doing that because it's really hard to completely opt out. We're finding that anyway. Um,
1: really hard. We've really sent ours really hard. our children to story school, and we sent them to our local high school with intention because we don't want to send them off the hill. Mm. And you know, we engage them in everything we do outside, so they're getting this learning that is very different to their academic learning. But it's really hard. You have a birthday party and say no presents and people feel like you've cut their right arm off. Mm. You know, you suddenly become the bad guy because you're not giving your kids presents, those sorts of things.
0: I, I love this conversation because it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, we have a daughter who's uh, super sensitive got, and she's neurodiverse. So we can't connect and, in the same way. We can't actually go away for long periods of time. We can't disrupt um, certain things without massive effects on the family's well-being. And so it's been this super interesting thing for me of really wanting, needing that yearning for connection, but also knowing her limit for it. And it's actually a conversation I think to be had here around like redefining what connection actually is and really moving towards like smaller homeopathic doses of high quality connection that looks different. It's not going out for dinner and having booze with your friends and it's not necessarily having long extended play dates or birthday parties or, you know what I mean? It's it's like actually redefining connection outside a capitalist system Mm -hmm. that's such an interesting thing that I've been thinking about recently and I I hope and I and I imagine in the case of your little wildlings that it's the case of just as I did really moved into the system in my late teens and 20s only to find myself back on the land again you know and back in that alternative upbringing that I had as a homeschool kid Um, I imagine that with the critical analysis that they have to look at the systems and to know that there's different ways of being in the world. I just think that that's still there, you know. I, I don't think that can be unlearned um, and it just, we have to hope they'll come home, <laughs>
1: come home again. I guess again. you just take a leap of faith that you've, you raise good thinking, curious humans and that they'll, they'll navigate their own path.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing so openly. It's really really um, supportive Katie I want to come back to you doing this work in an urban setting and I want to ask a little bit more about applying permaculture principles in an urban setting and also and future setting principles in an urban setting Um, and is it necessary as you do, to get out and work on farms, do you think? Or can you apply those principles more on a cultural level, a personal level, a societal level? Or are there micro things you can do at home um, to start to orient more toward this idea of future setting?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, as, as Jade knows, I had a bit of a begrudging relationship with moving to Melbourne from Tasmania which I did um, right at the start of the COVID um, bonanza <laughs> a year and a half ago so I really came to Melbourne with a, a sense of bitterness and heartache that I was being taken away from this pure and wholesome place in Tassie that does have that as a brand if not a, a daily <laughs> um, you know reality but there's a real sense that coming to the city for me was a a return to everything that I I didn't stand for and didn't want to participate in and had done everything in my power to get away from. But in in the last little while, the last few weeks, I feel like I'm romancing Melbourne and we're in this honeymoon phase and I think it's going to be an extended courtship because there is something here, there is something in cities and in dense spaces that actually makes me feel really excited and gives me so much hope. And I think it's when I see the plane trees down the middle of a super busy road in the CBD or these power grass built growing through a crack in the brick on a multi-story building or, you know, the littlest, all the weeds that are flourishing in the cracks of the footpath. There's something here that if we can navigate and engage with and not just say it's all or nothing we all have to go and live a bucolic existence or and tear down the city if we can somehow reckon with the the magnitude of humanity and all of the ways that we do have to exist and probably intensify our lives and live in close proximity and find ways to feed ourselves you know spiritually and literally in these dense spaces that's for me a really exciting challenge and I love challenges and um i'm yeah back to your question around applying these principles in a city this is what jade and future Steading has uh, has articulated so resoundingly well and brought the joy back into it and brought the the light back onto these these lives that most of us live in compromised inverted comma comma positions in in a concrete jungle so we have to be able to do this stuff and embody this stuff anywhere we are because there's just too many of us to go and have our acreages and to be able to do a John Seymour and be self-sufficient that's kind of a false promise I think in so many ways so I guess I can speak from personally our our perspective and we're in a rental so that's another layer of we can't really tinker too much with our with our abode because it's, it's somebody else's but there are so many things that we are doing here and it's it's the smallest stuff you know it's it's catching the eye of our neighbor and then forming a relationship that's leading to bartering stuff, that's leading to us making jam together. It's sitting in the backyard in the morning and understanding what the first bird is that, that sings in the morning. And wow, there are these ecosystems that are in unfolding and these, these relationships that are that are happening in my backyard, you know, the doves, generic old you know, spotted doves or pigeons in the city, city rats, they're having this cool life, you know, symbiosis with my dog. They come and eat his food and <laughs> um, <laughs> I just love watching all of these tiny micro stories that are in my tiny micro suburban backyard and this brings me back to the moment and the it's, it's kind of it's this moment in time and we can rally against it and do all of the things that we want to To try and get away from where we are and what we're facing but sometimes just sitting there and accepting it I don't know that's there's something really beautiful and necessary in that for me so we we do things like just catching water in our shower or catching water in our sink and they're tiny it's literally a drop in the bucket but for me it's it's a statement to the world that hey I'm still here and I still care and I'm still gonna try and do everything to conserve those precious resources even if on paper that's not a huge deal Um, We have a compost, you know, you can pretty much have a compost anywhere, even in an apartment block or you can use share waste or do all of the things to to swap the organic matter around and get it back to where it needs to be. Um, I think that getting excited about the opportunities within the challenge and the grittiness is a cool frame to, to set for yourself because I think the human mind actually loves a bit of that chest-puffing, um, hey, I'm going to take this on and be a little bit stoical about it. That's what I think can be quite fun and, and, and cool for people who are living in more urban spaces. Like where can you go with this within the parameters of your 100 square metres? So... Yeah, that's, that's a
0: beautiful response.
2: A summary. Yeah, <laughs> I love that
0: so much and I think there was this, as you were talking, I was reminded of about a year into living here and we'd gone really hard on the veggie garden early and I... And we had a lot of pots and stuff of herbs that we'd moved. And I remember feeling for the first year like resentful because I had to go out and tend to the garden and it was more living things that I had to like fucking keep alive, you know, and I had two small (laughs) kids and myself trying to get myself alive was challenging at that moment. But um, something happened and shifted where those things that I was responsible for, but not really responsible for, those things that I was in relationship with, began to call me out of my capitalist industrial mind repeatedly and then those were the things that I felt resentful from being pulled away and I kind of think even in an urban setting as we come back to the start of the conversation like one pot of mint can call you out of out of that mindset and somewhere else back into the web of life and I think that that movement is so I love watching that process I love watching folks fall in love with Something that's inherently them, whether it's a pot of mint or a lemon tree, or you know, I'm looking at at um, my kale at the moment. It's so it is a love affair, and it starts off as this grudging <laughs> love affair and turns into this beautiful reciprocity. So, thank you for sharing all the ways that we can adopt these principles in an urban setting. I'm conscious of time, so I really want to wrap up by asking each of you. What's your current conceptualization of regeneration? Like what does that mean for you in this moment of time? And Jade,
1: I'll start with you. Um, it's such a big word and I guess in its tru- truest form it's to improve on what we currently have. Um, and I think it differs depending on where you're at in your life with those who are you're responsible for and those Um, the vision that you're trying to embark on. Um, For me, it's about shifting from head-led decisions to heart-led decisions. It's also about making sure that there's ritual in not only my world and my children's world but the community that I'm part of as well. And if I don't feel like there is that repetitious ritual, then finding it within me to contribute so that others come forward as well and create and contribute um, some of that cultural building ritual. It's about the dirt. I, I mean, I, I'm in it six days a week. Well, not right at this second, I'm not because it's freezing cold and we're going to get to know tomorrow. But um, it's about the dirt, I think, If the soil under our feet isn't what I'm focusing my attention on and the conversations around our dinner table don't touch on soil at least once, it's the principal foundation of our individual existence in our household but everybody's, um, then something's wrong. So for us it's about understanding soil biology, it's understanding that our food comes from there and that that's foundational. Um, and that it can be as simple as something that seems innocuously available, but it's actually not. So I don't know if I've quite answered. It, it's a big question and I, I don't know if I quite have the answer. I would need to ponder it and ring you tomorrow, but I can't do that. We're all in lockdown and, yeah.
0: Pop over tomorrow and we can continue the conversation. I know, conversation. I know, I know. I, um, But I love that because I think that this concept of living questions is so, is a way that we can move out of like having the answer into just dancing with being in conversation with a question or a concept or even an offering or a creation or a, a plant or a tree, you know, and that that conversation can evolve and just how my conversation with that concept of regeneration is always evolving from the, micro in my body and myself and my own experience and and pendulating out into the macro and back again and I just I love that you're like I don't I don't know
2: and this is some parts of it but it's not everything either what Mm. about you Katie Mm. well yeah riffing off the I don't know theme I'm really happy to um hand it over to Carol Sanford who has this amazing pyramid which talks about the basically it kind of sums up life in terms of how we can be it's the paradigms of um of being and working in the world and I'm sure you guys both know it um but it's you know at the bottom it's extract value um, above that it's a disorder above that it's do good and at the top of the pyramid is regenerating life and I feel like my my thing is trying to move from doing good, which a lot of us are really valiantly valiantly trying to do in the world, do good in exerting our our will and extending ourselves and trying to force goodness onto the things and people and spaces around us. But how do we move, you know, how do I personally come back to myself and heal and whole myself so that I can actually lay the soil for something else to regenerate, to come up, to, to be what it wants to be in this in this you know, space that I've, um, you know, left for it. So I guess for me it's about doing heaps less, <laughs> taking a lot of stuff away and understanding how, who, who the hell am I and what am I, what am I doing here? And, you know, all these questions I can't really answer, but how do I feel good and operate well in the world and how do I love my partner well and my dog well, and they're kind of in my immediate vicinity. And then how do they, with all of that love and intention and, and and food that I'm offering them, how do they go out and be awesome in the world and and help other people heal? And from that really, really small and, I don't know, it's self-oriented. It's, it's oriented towards me, but also out at the same time. How do I come back and just say, this is the best I can do? And I think that I'm going to trust that everyone else is going to do that. And all together, we're going to have this amazing ripple effect. So... Mm. it's it's the regenerating life thing and how do I make the right compost so that other stuff can just do do what it wants and flourish and thrive and I'm not going to try and say what that is but I'm sure it's going to be amazing
0: and what a beautiful way to end our conversation by deferring to our elder Carol and um and using that beautiful framing of you know for me it's not about it's not about fixing anything it's about radically transforming everything (laughs) and to me regeneration speaks to that so thank you folks so much for your time I've adored this conversation I know folks listening will have as
1: well and we'll chat soon thanks so much Meg thank you Meg
2: amazing work